sermon today, I'm going to throw out the bulletin and I'm going to have anybody that wants to come forward, come up here and I'm going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray. Who wants to be made well? Okay, just confirming you're all Lutherans. We're on the same page. All right, Lutherans. Someone once said, I can't remember who the quote is, and it's been ascribed to different people, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Do you want to be made well? If we really believe this, we really think about the question Jesus is asking and we believe it, what would this church look like? What does a church look like when the people coming to worship want to be made well? Now, Jesus asks this question to a man who is paralyzed for 38 years, and it's obvious Without a doubt, the man wants to be made well. But the way that Jesus goes about it, the things that Jesus does and what he says, they cause a stir. They're more than just words. Jesus is stirring things up, kind of like a Lutheran pastor coming and saying, who wants to come forward and get prayed for? Now, I'll say that after every church service where I'm feeling well and I'm able to interact with people, which the last couple weeks has not been the case, but I'm getting better. After church, it reminds me of what used to go on in India when I visited those churches. In India, what would happen when the service was over, rather than uh, just going on and fellowshipping and chatting outside, people would line up. They'd line up to meet the pastor and to bring their prayer, personal prayer requests so that the pastor would pray for them. And some of these meetings, after having worshipped, sang songs, had a long sermon, already going on for maybe an hour and a half, people would line up for another half an hour or hour after that so that the pastor would lay his hand on them and pray specifically for their needs. What does a church look like when the people truly believe that Jesus means it when he says, do you want to be made well? So after the service, just remember, the pastor's always there. After the service, and all you have to do is come up and say, hey, this thing going on, and and share your struggles. And people do that with me. But I want to make a point to say, I'll also pray with you. Okay? Anytime, any place doesn't matter if we're at Starbucks or we're in the churchyard. Don't be afraid to say, I'm not feeling well. And that's more than just physically. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus addresses a question the Pharisees raise against him. The Pharisees and scribes are grumbling that Jesus is eating and drinking with sinners. And Jesus answers them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus stirs things up on the Sabbath. And in our particular story we read just minutes ago from John chapter 5, it leads to the beginning of an ongoing conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders who are called the Jews. It happens at a place called Bethesda. Now, the word Bethesda means mercy or house of mercy or mercy house. There's evidence that these pools are still there today that are fed by a live spring. And in Jesus' days, people would come to that spring for clean water, fresh water, and healing. They believed that an angel came and stirred the water and that it had miraculous powers. And so people would line up to get to that pool to the point that there were people who couldn't even get there because it was so crowded in that colonnade, that porch around the pool. Multitudes of sick people are coming, and Jesus picks out one in particular. One that wasn't able to get to the pool. And he asks him, do you want to be healed? So the first thing that Jesus stirs up that we're looking at is the paralyzed man. Do you want to be healed? Well, it seems obvious, but is it so obvious? The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, which means that everyone in this world, the multitudes of people that are lining up and looking for help, looking for healing, looking for answers, looking for something better than what they've currently got, should all be coming here to a church where the word is being heard and preached, where Jesus is present, where his sacraments are being administered and given out freely for the forgiveness of sins. But people don't necessarily look to Jesus. Many times we look to doctors, we look to psychologists, we look to medicine, we look to dietitians. And these things all have a place and a blessing. We said earlier in the service, God is the maker of heaven and earth, and he provides all his good gifts in every facet of life. But they only supply us what we truly need if we realize that Jesus is the purpose behind it all. Jesus is the purpose behind doctors. Jesus is the purpose behind hospitals. Jesus is the purpose behind psychologists and medicine and diet. A lot of sicknesses really aren't just physical. Even if they're physical, they're compounded by the mental mental stress, what that'll do to a person, uh, emotional turmoil, changes in our life, depression and anxiety are at the highest rate that they ever have been on record. And Jesus has to ask this question to the man who obviously wants to be healed because he knows there's a deeper healing that everyone needs. And he says, I have no one to put me into the pool. That's his answer. He's paralyzed and apparently has no friends or family or neighbors who are going to be able to carry him down to the water. 
Remember the meaning of the word Bethesda, mercy house. Jesus is the true mercy house. As that pool is being stirred and people are rushing because they think that's the source of answers and healings and medicine and everything that they need, they're rushing to it. Jesus is standing far off and he's stirring something else. He's stirring the man's heart and mind to think about God and not just the outward remedies. He says to the man, get up, take up your bed and walk. And the man is healed. Then John writes, now that day was the Sabbath. Why does John put that in there? Why does he have one sentence plugged into the middle of this story that says that day was the Sabbath? There's nothing that John puts in to his gospel that doesn't have a purpose. Everything has a purpose. Everything has significance. The history of the Sabbath goes back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the beginning, the creation of heaven and earth. There were six days, and on the seventh, it says once God had completed all his work, he rested. And so he called it the Sabbath, because the Lord rested from all of his work, and everything was complete. Then the Sabbath comes up again in Exodus. As the people are journeying through the wilderness and they're hungry, God provides manna, which just appears on the ground and feeds them every day of the week. And he says, but on the seventh day, you're to gather no manna and you're to rest. Now, it's this particular teaching of the Sabbath rest. The Jews were taught that that day was to be a day of rest, a day where no work is going to be done. But like all humans, we say, well, you're going to have to get more specific. What do you mean? No work. And so they began to get more specific. What kind of work? You know, anything could be qualified as work if we're moving, if we're breathing, if we're eating. What kind of work? And so one of the regulations was you can't carry your bed. You can't move your house. You can't move your furniture. It is not lawful, they say, for you to take up your bed. You see, for these Jews, the church was not a hospital for sinners. It was a museum. Now, the Jews that are mentioned here is John's way of talking about the Jewish religious leaders. He just calls them the Jews. It's not think, he's not thinking of it ethnically, of all Jews or the race of Jews, but as it is religiously the leaders. Now, these religious Jewish leaders are not concerned with what is good. They're concerned with what is lawful, and there's a difference. There's a difference in our thinking and our heart when we become more concerned about what is legal or lawful or following the rules than we are about what is good, what is healthy, what is the right thing. Most of the time we think those two things are going to line up, but they don't always line up. Sometimes the rules become so specific, so stringent, 
And following those religious rules becomes so authoritarian that we completely lose track of the purpose. What was the purpose of the Sabbath? What was good about it? Because all they could think about was what was bad. They're trying to regulate religion rather than renew relationships. And so the church becomes a museum, becomes a place for artifacts, relics, things that look nice or look religious or feel pious. But then when we run into situations where there's people who do not look religious, who do not seem pious, who do not particularly sparse up the place, and that can be any one of us, we get lost in rules more than relationship. There was no one to put him into the water. And what that is really saying is there was no one who cared about this man. There was nobody giving him time. There was no one who thought he had hope. There was nobody in this religious community of leaders who was interested in helping the man get to the water. They just kept passing him by. And so the irony is, while they're accusing him of unlawfully carrying his mat on the Sabbath, his bed, at the same time, they're unwilling to carry him. So if you're going to tell somebody you've got to follow this rule all the way to the letter of the law, but then you're not willing to help that person, well, Jesus has something to say. They say, who made you well? Because they don't know. And the man doesn't know. Jesus remains hidden until the time is right. They can't grasp Jesus. And Jesus is soon to reveal himself. He's soon to make himself known. And Jesus knows as soon as he makes himself known in Jerusalem, there's going to be trouble because he's stirring things up. Now he's not just stirring up things in the man, in his life, but he's stirring up things in the church on the Sabbath among the religious people. The man says... I have no one to put me into the water when it is stirred up. Now this word that Jesus, uh, that the man uses for stirring things up comes up again in Acts chapter 17. And in Acts chapter 17, you have Paul and Silas, and they're traveling to a city of the Jews in Thessalonica. And Paul has been teaching about Jesus for three consecutive weeks, saying that Jesus is the king. In response, the people begin dragging out Christians and bringing them before the city authorities. And they say, these men have turned the world upside down. And this Christian has received them. And they're acting against Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were stirred up when they heard these things. It uses the same word for the stirring of the waters. It's also a word that means to disturb the status quo, disturb the city. They're stirring things up. Jesus has come not to just maintain the comfortable status quo. 
but he's come to stir things up in this world. And when he begins to teach and preach and he shows himself in society, it stirs up controversy. They say that they've turned the world upside down. Afterwards, Jesus finds this man. The man doesn't find Jesus. Jesus finds the man. Back to John chapter 5. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus realizes that the man is just beginning to understand the meaning of Jesus. Why would Jesus say, sin no more, that something worse does not come upon you? What what could be worse than being paralyzed for 38 years? What could be worse than a, a chronic illness or pain that never goes away? Something debilitating, a disability you're born with? And your parents realize they're going to have to take care of you for the rest of your life. What could be worse than that? The religious leaders are focused on the Sabbath. And because Jesus has done this work on the Sabbath, it says because of this, they started to persecute him. Now, the word persecute means to pursue, means to chase after, to harass And Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, not only because he broke the Sabbath, but because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. What really sets off the chain reaction of hostility that leads to the cross is that Jesus is not only going against the law, but he is saying that he is the law. That he is higher than the law. Higher than their law, than their understanding of religious hierarchy. Jesus is getting after something much deeper than just understanding the rules. See that you sin no more. Now, the healing on the Sabbath is one of these signs in John. It's the third sign. We had the the wedding at Cana where he made the water into wine. We had the sign in the temple. And now he has the sign of his healing on the Sabbath. He talks about these greater works. The Father is working and he is working. And in verse 20, it says, Greater works than these will the Father show you, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Can you see what Jesus is getting after? A greater work, something worse than paralysis that needs to be dealt with? There's a comparison being made here. He's talking about which is greater, paralysis or death? Which is greater, a life where you struggle with a disability or being eternally crippled and never knowing God? 
being separated from him and never knowing his love. Now, this comparison is drawn up because every time Jesus does a sign, it is meant to point us to something greater. A sign is something that always signifies something else. It's not about the paralysis and the healing. It's a sign for something greater, a greater work that Jesus is going to do or that he is doing. Greater works than these will the Son do. The sign has to do with raising someone up. So what is it pointing to? Raising up a man who can't move, who can't get himself out of his situation. In verse 25, it says, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Some of you might have noticed by now, this is a longer text. If you guys want to take John seriously, you've got to be prepared when you come to church for big chunks. I asked Luke to read 47 verses. That's a lot to take in. And you're not going to take it all in. You have to go back and read this again and again. But there's so much here. It's all connected back to the man when he says he will raise the dead. So there's first this raising of the dead that Jesus says is coming and is now here. And then later he says there's a raising of the dead that is coming but is not yet here. Pay attention. There is an hour coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. That's the first resurrection. Second resurrection is there is an hour coming that is not yet here. When those in the tomb will hear his voice and come out. He's talking about two different resurrections. The first one is already here. What is Jesus doing? When he gives the paralyzed man life to get up, to walk, and to live... He is showing us that he is bringing to the world now already a spiritual resurrection to take those who are crippled, who are sick, who are hurting, who are lost, who are trapped in sin and tell them, I'm setting you free. And those who hear his voice will live. That is a precursor to the second resurrection, which is coming, but is not yet here. When those in the tombs will come forward. And in that case, he says, all will come out. Not just those who believe. Those who believe and do not believe will come out of the tombs in the end. And those who experienced the first resurrection, who heard his voice and lived and believed, will come out of the tombs and they'll go to life. But those who did not hear his voice at the first resurrection will come out of the tombs and they'll go to judgment. That's the final resurrection. 
Jesus definitely stirs things up. In the end, Jesus points to three testimonies that prove that he's able to do this and he is doing it. It's the Father's testimony, it's John the Baptist's testimony, and it's Moses' testimony. And in the end, he says they don't listen to any of them. They don't listen to the Father. They don't even know him. They don't listen to John the Baptist because they might have got excited about him, but they didn't really hear what he was saying, and they don't listen to the scriptures. And that's the greatest condemnation of all, is that they don't listen to Moses, the one that they put all their pride in, in being the heirs of the old covenant. I think it's a lesson for us to take home to remember that just because we're part of a church and we come to church does not mean that we're listening. And just because we're here doesn't mean that we're truly getting this message. Moses wrote about Jesus and all of the scriptures write about Jesus. And what it's showing us, if you look back to Moses, is that the Sabbath is the intention of God to bring everyone to eternal rest. It's the intention of God to bring everyone to eternal rest. The church is not a museum for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners. But we are meant to come to hear Jesus, to find his healing power, maybe even to lay hands on some people and pray for them, and find in Jesus The words that he says in Matthew, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen.